Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. Uh, If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles provided for you, you can find that on page 391. Page 391. Uh, We're going through a a, a small series uh, about the Messianic Psalms, uh, trying to show how all the Old Testament points uh, to Jesus Christ and His coming. Uh, So we're going to continue that series uh, this morning. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter uh, 22, uh, 31 verses, and then I'll pray, and then we will dig into uh, the Word of God. Uh, So join with me in Psalm 22, starting in the first verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I am not silent, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast Lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. Father God, we pray uh, for this time now. We pray that you will soften our hearts to hear your word. Father, I know that there are many here who are suffering 
God, uh, who are going to be facing suffering. Father, I pray that you give me strength and you give me wisdom to proclaim to them how they must persevere in the midst of suffering. Father, I pray that through this scripture, through your word, that you will strengthen strengthen and encourage your people. Father, we ask your blessing. Uh, Send your spirit, we pray. Father, we do pray in the coming season for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We just pray, God, that we will be a generous church. God, that we will care more about your name than we will about this present world. So God, I pray that you will just embolden your people to give and to give generously for the sake of your name. God, help us be a people who care about your name, going among all the nations. Help us be obedient to fulfill the great commission. God, we ask now that you just soften our hearts to hear your word. I pray that you will use me, your servant, uh, to speak with grace and with mercy uh, to your people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Horatio Spafford uh, was a successful Chicago lawyer. He and his wife, Anna, were very well known in 1860s Chicago. It was not just because of Horatio's legal career or business endeavors. The Spaffords were prominent supporters and close friends of evangelist D.L. Moody. In 1870, however, things started to go wrong. The Spaffords' only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. A year later, it was a fire that, uh, rather than a fear that struck, fever that struck. Horatio had invested heavily in the real estate shores of Lake Michigan. In 1871, every one of those holdings was wiped out by the Chicago fire. Aware of the toil these disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters to holiday in England. Not only did they need the rest, but D.L. Moody needed the help. He was traveling around Britain on one of the greatest evangelical campaigns of the day. Horatio and Anna, his wife, planned to join Moody in late 1873. And so the Spaffords traveled to New York in November. From there, they were to catch the French steamer Ville de Havre across the Atlantic. Yet just before they were set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, Spafford persuaded his family to go on ahead as planned. He would follow on later. With this decided, Anna and her four daughters sailed east to Europe, while Spafford returned west to Chicago. Just nine days later, Spafford received a telegram from his wife in Wales. It read, Saved, Alone. On November 2, 1873, the Ville de Havre was collided with the Lockhearn, an English vessel. It sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 people. Anna Spafford, Spafford was the, stood bravely on the deck with her daughters Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanita, clinging desperately to her children. Her last memory had been of her baby being violently torn out of her arms by the force of the waves. Anna was the only saved from the fate because her daughters, uh, from her, of her daughters by a plank that floated beneath her unconscious body and propped her up. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt utterly alone? Have you ever experienced an intense distance from God? Have you ever cried out to God for day, day and night for relief, yet got no answer? Have you ever felt the rejection of those who are supposed to be your closest friends? Have you ever felt hopeless? Like you wanted to give up in the midst of your suffering and pain? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? In our fallen world, we are going to experience suffering. Our suffering may be physically, 
We may have hear those awful words of cancer in our ears. We may have to deal with chronic daily pain. We may experience uh, financial troubles after countless job applications going forth and hearing nothing back. As a congregation, we have many in our midst who are suffering. You may not be suffering now, but you will one day. So how do you persevere in the face of this intense suffering? Well, our text this morning, I think, gives you two foundational principles that you can bank on to help you persevere in the midst of suffering. The first, if you want to grab your outline on the back of your bulletin. Number one, entrust yourself to God's past faithfulness. Entrust yourself to God's past faithfulness. Look back at verses 1 and 2. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, am I not silent? I mean, can you feel the the anxiety of his soul? Hear him. Why have you forsaken me? Abandoned me. Given up on me. Completely deserted me. I cry out to you day and night, and you are not answering my prayers. You are far from saving me, far from the words of my pain. The pain is severe. The emotional turmoil is crushing. Have you been there? Are you there now? So in the midst of this extreme anguish, what does the psalmist do? He reminds himself. He he encourages souls about the past faithfulness of God. Look at verses 3 through 5. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In your fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. See, the psalmist was comforted, firstly, because he saw God's faithfulness to others. He was encouraged by God's past faithfulness to others. They cried out to God and were saved. They trusted and were delivered. They trusted and were not disappointed. That should be a huge encouragement to us. There have been others who have walked through the same suffering and trials you are walking through now. And the Lord was faithful. The Lord was faithful. We struggle more when we isolate ourselves from others. When we realize, when we think that our suffering is is isolation of, of just us, that other people would not understand or feel my pain. We struggle when we believe that no one else can relate to our suffering. But know this, there have been others who have been in extreme suffering and who have trusted in their God and were not disappointed. One of the challenges of suffering uh, is that its intensity makes us feel that our suffering will never end. But this text should show us that that is not the case. Look to the examples of those who are around you who have persevered in the midst of extreme suffering as an example of how to persevere in the midst of your pain. Those of you who have suffered greatly and God has been faithful to you, share that. 
Share how God has been gracious to you as an encouragement to others. But that does not remove the pain, does it? The affliction is still great. Look at verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Now we see a little bit more of the cause, the direct cause of this suffering. The psalmist is being scorned and despised. He's mocked and insulted. And the mockery and insults are because of his trust and devotion to God. Yet God is silent. He's calling out, but God does not answer his prayers. You trust in God? (laughs) Why won't he save you? He saved. You think God is big and strong and powerful? Why won't he save you? Isn't it interesting how when you suffer and you're struggling and waiting for answers, how the pain is even intensified when people point that out? That's what's happening here. The pain is just going deeper and deeper into the soul. I mean, can you relate to that? That kind of scorn and being despised? What does the psalmist do? Verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb, he says. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. You see, the psalmist is not only comforted by God's past faithfulness to others, but God's past faithfulness to himself. Second point, to you. God's past faithfulness to you. The psalmist reflects in his own life how God has been faithful and gracious to him since birth. He says, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. The psalmist is strengthened in affliction because he remembers how God has been faithful to him. See, we don't have to only look to others. We can look back at our own lives and see how God has been faithful to us. C.H. Spurgeon says this, We receive perhaps ten times as many mercies which escape our notice as those which which we observe. The blessing of the Thanksgiving holiday is that we just stop and we look at our life and we thought, think, what are we thankful for? Family, friends, health, comfort, heat, clothing. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. See, we need to observe the mercies that God has given us, not just during a Thanksgiving season, but even in the midst of your pain, because God has been there in the past. He has been faithful which means he will be faithful. The psalmist continues to share this suffering. Look at verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am being poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay in the dust of you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. 
They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Nowhere in this psalm will you hear a minimizing of suffering. Suffering is great. And suffering in this world reminds us that this world is fallen. We are in a world full of sinners and a world plagued by sin. So we must persevere in this suffering. But primarily, we can look to others in our own lives, but by primarily how you persevere in the face of suffering. Hear me, church. The number one way we can do this is we entrust ourselves to God for His past faithfulness in Jesus Christ. God has been faithful for us in Christ. I'm not sure if you've heard a lot of these verses before. They've probably sounded familiar. They sounded familiar because they're uh, a psalm. It's a prophecy about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalm opens up with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those are the same words that Jesus said on the cross. In Matthew 27, verse 46, it says this, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, in those days when someone wanted to reference uh, the Scriptures, they didn't say chapter and verse. They opened up with the first word. So when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wants us to bring to mind the whole Psalm 22. And look at how these are compared. Let me read verses from Psalm 22 in the the crucifixion account. Psalm 22, 6 through 8. I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Now Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 and 43. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. Do you see how similar those are? David David is speaking about Christ here. Psalm 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted away within me. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. See, at the time, the reason why this is so amazing is because this is a thousand years before the crucifixion of Christ. And at the time of David, when he wrote these words, crucifixion was not commonly used. But this is exactly what happens. The bones were out of, all out of joint from the hanging on the cross, the piercing of the hands and the feet to a cross. It's clear that this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus. And again, in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, it says this, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. The tongue of my, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and you lay me in the dust of death. Verse John nineteen twenty-eight. Later, knowing that all was now completed, so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. All right, Psalm 22 talks about the, the, the jaw being locked, and Jesus says, I am thirsty. 
And then Psalm twenty-two, eighteen: They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Matthew 27, 35. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. See, the intense suffering of Psalm 22 is speaking about the intense suffering of the Son of God. He was forsaken by God. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was mocked and insulted. He was beaten and spit upon. He took the punishment that was reserved for sinners like you and me. The greatest suffering the world has ever known was reserved, was seen on the cross on that day in Calvary. Yet the greatest suffering the world has ever known was, not, was decided before the foundation of the world. Look back at, at, at the end of Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. It says this, You, you being God, God, you lay me in the dust of the earth. God was the one ultimately responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2, 8 And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was obedient to the Father, for he lived to do the will of the Father. Now listen to Isaiah 53 and following. Verses 3 and following. Now, if if I've lost you, stick with me, because I'm going to apply this in a second. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He, Jesus, the Son, the suffering servant, was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He surely took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now listen, and the Lord, the Lord has laid on Jesus, on him, the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So how do you persevere in the midst of suffering? You entrust yourself to God's past faithfulness in Jesus Christ. See, God has laid your iniquity, your sin, on him. He was punished for your sins. By his wounds, you have been healed. Two things I want to point out here, beloved. First, no matter what trial you are facing, no matter how great that trial is, that trial is not greater than your trial as a sinner against a holy God. The greatest suffering has already been suffered for you in Christ. The wrath of God against you has been paid. Secondly, we are not greater than our master. You know, we often are surprised when we experience immense trial and suffering in this world. But the scriptures are clear. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was insulted. Jesus was spit upon. Jesus suffered greatly. And we as his followers can expect nothing less. But we we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our pain, but was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Hebrews chapter 12, 2 and 3 say this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Beloved, your struggle may be great, but you have to look to Him to help you endure. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The second thing is, how do you persevere through suffering? We entrust ourselves, yourself, to God's future grace. Not only do we look to God's past faithfulness, we also look to God's future grace. Verses 19 and 21 are the hinge of the psalm. The, the, the 19 to 21 kind of ends the prayer section of the psalm. It says this, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. We see a prayer of deliverance from our enemies. In this section, we see the same enemies, dogs, lions, and oxen listed earlier, but in reverse order. I believe this is the psalmist's way of saying is that God wants the psalmist, Jesus, speaking of Christ, wanted deliverance from all his enemies. All his enemies. And we know that Jesus was delivered from all his enemies. But he was not delivered prior to death. Our Lord was delivered from, not from death, but unto death. He was ultimately delivered over to death. Our greatest worldly enemy, death, could not hold the Lord Jesus. And therefore, it will not be able to hold us. You need to trust in God's future grace in four things from this passage, quickly. In your older brother. So you need to trust God's future grace in your older brother. Following the deliverance from all his enemies, listen to the words of Psalm 22, verses 22 through 24. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Are are you descendants of Jacob? Honor him. Revere him, all the descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. We know that God has listened to the cries of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because God raised him from the dead. He gave us victory over death. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that. You who are in Christ have victory over death. He did not despise or disdain the suffering of the afflicted one. He did not hide his face, but he heard his cry. Listen to how one pastor uh, explains this. Ryan Chapel writes to two brothers uh, who one day decided to play on the sandbanks on the edge of the river of his hometown. He writes that because his town depends on the river for commerce, dredges often clear the river's channels of sand into great mounds on the banks of the river. Nothing is more fun for children than playing on these mountainous sand piles, and a few things are more dangerous. While the sand is still wet from the river's bottom, the dredges dump it on the shore and piles of sand dry with ridges crust that conceal cavernous, eternal voids formed by the escaping water. If a child climbs on the mound of sand that has such a void, the external surface easily collapses into the cavern. Sand from higher, 
on the mound, then falls into the void, trapping the child in a sinkhole of loose sand. This is exactly what happened to these two boys who raced up one of the larger mounds. When the boys did not return home at dinner time, the family and neighbors organized a search. They found the younger brother. Only his head and his shoulders protruded from the mound. He was unconscious from the pressure from the sand on his body. The searchers began to to dig frantically. They cleared the sand to his race and roused him to consciousness. Where's your brother? The rescuer shouted. He said, I'm standing on his shoulders, replied the child. With the sacrifice of his own life, the older brother had lifted his younger brother to safety. The sacrifice of our older brother, the Lord Jesus, has lifted us to safety. Hear the words from Hebrews chapter 2. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Your challenge, beloved, is to stand on the shoulders of your older brother who died for you. Second thing, we need to look for future grace and future satisfaction. Verses 25 and 26. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. See, I love this imagery. The poor will eat and be satisfied. See, we are now poor but we will be satisfied for Jesus who will fulfill his vows of those to those who fear him. When my wife and I lived in, in Washington, D.C., we always would partner with a church in the suburbs. And what we would do is we would, um, they would give out turkey boxes uh, for Thanksgiving, including in there would be a turkey, uh, you know, potatoes, uh, a pie, bread, and a gospel of John as an outreach. So what we would do, I'd take my minivan, I'd take out all my seats, and I would just load my van up with these boxes, 20 to 30 boxes that we would get a chance to bring to the poor of the city. And there was nothing like that day when we would drop off boxes uh, to the poor, uh, when they didn't know where their meal was coming from for Thanksgiving. How am I going to feed my family? And I was able to give them a box of food for their Thanksgiving dinner. Their gloom turned into joy. They who are poor ate and were satisfied. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord, who praise his name, whose hearts will live forever. Beloved, although we are poor now, we will eat and be satisfied. Trust him. Thirdly, we need to look for future grace in our worship, in your worship. See, we are going to suffer in this world. But God gives us a promise in His world, in His Word, that one day, one day we will live in unending worship and praise. Verse 27 of Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, 
and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust who kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. See, we will be part of the endless throng of people who worship the Lord forever. As Christians, we trust ourselves to the the, the future grace that the Lord will give us on that day, the day when he will reward us for persevering in the midst of our suffering. But notice this. It says that every knee will bow. In that day, people will either bow willingly or they will be forced to bow. If you are here today and you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your greatest suffering, your greatest trial has yet to been paid. Can I encourage you to do so today, to bow your knee willingly to the Lord Jesus Christ, submit your life to him. For in him is the only hope in the midst of suffering. For if by faith Jesus does not suffer for you, you will have to suffer for you. The suffering of this psalm will be yours. I pray it not be so. The Lord has given us a way. Stand on the shoulders of our older brother. Lastly, we entrust ourselves for God's future grace in our proclamation. In your proclamation. I think this is often forgotten uh, when we face periods moments of intense suffering. Uh, See, one danger of suffering is that it causes us to be self-centered and focused on our own pain. See, pain is very real, but we cannot allow our pain to blind us. In the midst of our suffering, we must fight to be faithful to the Lord and His commands. Verse 30, posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, he, for he has done it. Future generations will be told about the Lord and will serve him. And those of you who were told of the Lord will then proclaim the righteousness of God to their future children. God has done it. It is easy to turn inward in the midst of pain. But can I encourage you to be part of the they in verse 31? Proclaim His righteousness. Proclaim what He has done. For maybe our pain is a springboard for somebody else's faith. As the children even learned this morning in Sunday school about Joseph, how the suffering and pain of Joseph served to save his family. Maybe your suffering and pain is to serve your family. Be faithful to proclaim the will of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 9 through 11 say this, Then you shall call, the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke, of your, in, the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your finger, the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted. Now listen to these promises. Then shall your light rise in the darkness, your gloom, be like the noon day. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, who waters do not fail. Did you hear those promises? When we pour our life out for others, the Bible says that our darkness will turn to light. Our gloom will be as bright as the noon day. Our life in scorched places will be like a watered garden. 
Well, we end where we began. How did Horatio and Anne Spafford respond to their extreme suffering? After losing much of their fortune and all of their children, how did they respond? Listen. When the survivors of the wreck had been rescued, Mrs. Spafford's first reaction was one of complete despair. Then she heard a voice speak to her. You were spared for a purpose. And she immediately recalled the words of a friend. It is easy to be grateful and good when you have so much. But take care that you are not a fair-weather friend to God. Upon hearing the terrible news, Horatio Spofford boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. Bertha Spofford, their fifth daughter of Horatio and Anne, born later, explained that during her father's voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, the captain said, and I believe we are now passing the place where the ship where your family perished was wrecked. The water is three miles deep. Picture this. This is the place where he lost four of his children, perishing on the, on the waters beneath, three miles below. What would you do in a situation like that? Well, this is what he did. He returned to his cabin, and he penned the lyrics of the great hymn of the faith, It Is Well. The words which Spafford wrote that day from, came from 2 Kings 4, verse 26. The echo, the response of the Shumanite woman the sudden death of her only child. Though we were told her soul is vexed within her, she still maintains that it is well. And Spafford's song reveals that those who trust in the Lord is as unwavering as hers was. That would be difficult, beloved, for any of us to predict how we would react in the face of extreme anguish and pain. But we know that God, who sustained them, would also work for us. No matter what circumstances overtake us, may we be able to say with Horatio Spafford, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father God, we, we hate suffering. God, suffering is awful. God, God's suffering reminds us how broken and fallen this world truly is. But God, we know we, we can be faithful in the midst of that suffering. So God, we entrust ourselves to you today for how you've been faithful in the past. And God, we entrust ourselves to the future grace that you have given us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, we pray that in the midst of our sufferings, we will be able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So God, I pray that you will burn that message on our hearts. Let us just hold fast to the Lord Jesus, God. Let us look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, him who endured such suffering so that we may not grow weary and lose heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.